Revelation chapter 12, starting at verse 1. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them onto the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he may devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with the rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Now, war rose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives, even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you. O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. For the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle, so she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness, to the place where she is to be nourished for a time, and times, and half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened up its mouth and swallowed the river and the dragon that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. Revelation 13, and I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it, the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words, 
and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth, <clears throat> sorry, it opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them, and authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation, and all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword must he be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast, so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Also, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, that is, the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom, that the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, or it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. Uh, <clears throat> uh, thanks so much for reading the passage for us. Uh, can I commend you to, to have the handout in front of you? Um, I think that will help you to follow along today's talk. And just to, sorry, just give me one second. Okay, brilliant. Um, and yeah, just to say that Revelations 12 and 13, 14 uh, is a really key section in the book of Revelation. Well, if you were here for our overview talk at the start of the series, I suggested that Re Revelations 12 to 14 uh, is the central section of the whole book. Um, I put the, uh, the structure down in the handout, and you can uh, review it on your own time. Um, and so we'll be spending three weeks in this section, uh, next week and the week after our evangelistic event. And so my suggestion is do try to come back next week uh, to see how this develops. And the whole issue of this central section of the book of Revelation is really answering this big issue. Uh, what is now for? What is now for? Why do we exist in this world? Why is there a delay between Jesus' first and second coming? And the way John has shown us this aspect um, in the book of Revelation is by showing us the pause. We've seen it in the handout as well. I put a, a small table for you. And we've seen a few cycles in Revelation so far. Uh, there were seven seals and seven trumpets. But in between the sixth and seventh seal, there was a pause in chapter seven. And in between the sixth and seven trumpets, there was also a pause in chapters 10 and 11. And each pause, it is building on one another. If you hear a few weeks ago in chapter seven, the big thing that we saw was that we 
by an army, an army with a victory won, but nonetheless, an army. But the question we asked after that was, well, how does the army fight? And if you hear last week, we saw how the army fights, by witnessing unto death. But another surprise we saw last week was uh, the beast. Now, who is the beast? Uh, what is this battle over? And so these uh, visions, these pauses, they're building on one another. And so these whole section, chapters 12 to 14, is answering the question, what is now for? Uh, why is there a delay between Jesus' return? And so over the next couple of weeks, uh, we will get this full picture. Uh, so as I mentioned at the start, I do be coming back. Uh, but for this week, uh, we are going to focus on the enemy, uh, the devil. Uh, what is the devil doing now? I wonder what you guys said in your breakout groups. Uh, for myself, coming from Southeast Asia, um, there are quite a few animistic religions that are still in Southeast Asia. Uh, for many of some of these societies, evil spirits and the dwelling with the occult is quite a day-to-day -day experience. It's not normal. How about here in the UK? I was looking online and I saw a journal article uh, saying about 10% of uh, the UK are involved in satanic cults. I was quite surprised 10% seems pretty high. But after looking at a couple of articles, um, there have been quite a few incidents attributed to these satanic cults. So maybe 10% is true. But how about um, the, others, uh, the other part of society? Uh, the rest of the, the country seems normal. Um, everyone, we grow up, uh, we study, we get a job, uh, we buy a house, some of us get married, have kids, uh, we retire, and we die. Uh, it's a circle of life, as the song goes. So where do we see the devil at work today? Uh, is he at work now? Well, remember, the book of Revelation, it's written not uh, to 21st century Christians, but to 1st century Christians, the seven churches uh, that we read about in the start of the letter. And for many of these seven churches living under the, the Roman Empire, things seemed very normal. Well, there were some of them who were persecuted. So we read about Antipas, who was killed for his faith in the city in Pergamum. But for the other cities, well, things felt really normal. Uh, most of them were enjoying peace and prosperity. Uh, the Pax Romana, uh, the Roman peace, uh, the emperor, the mission, allowing peace and prosperity to flourish in the region. And so life well, it seemed decent. And so the question is, where is the devil at work now? Well, we've been saying that Revelation gives us heaven's glasses to see the world as it really is. And this week, we put on heaven's glasses and we see the devil at work. And so what do we see? We see a great cosmic battle that is happening on Earth. Well, if you're following the handout, uh, look at point one. Uh, the dragon has taken the fight to Earth. Look at chapter 12, verse 1. And a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and crying out in birth pains, and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red 
dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But the child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has place prepared by God, in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Well, this is the nativity scene, seen through heaven's glasses. Uh, you see the dragon, uh, he really hates the child. The woman, I suggest, refers to the nation of Israel, uh, s- symbolized by the 12 stars. And from her, the Messiah comes forth. And the great red dragon that we're introduced to is this powerful character. Uh, he has great rule, seven heads with seven diadems, signifying great authority. And he, he hates the child. He hates the child because he is the one who is about to rule the nations. He so hates the child that he takes advantage of the woman in her most vulnerable state, in her state of agony, just before she's about to give birth. And so as the child comes out of this woman's womb, it comes out not into the hands of a midwife, but to the open mouth of the dragon. Well, just before the the mouth closes on the child, uh, the child is saved by God and ascends to his throne. Uh, Imagine the the anger, uh, the fury, the wrath of the dragon, that he was so close at destroying this child, but he fails. See, the dragon, he is in rage. Well, what's the result as the child is brought up to heaven? Well, we see a great victory in heaven. And look at verse 7. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil. And Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. See, the ascension of the sun to the throne results in a great cosmic battle. And so the dragon is thrown down. And imagine as this great dragon falls from the sky, his identity is exposed. Uh, His mask slips. Uh, He's not any dragon, but he is the devil himself, the ancient serpent, the serpent that we read about in Genesis 3, the one who deceived Adam and Eve. He is the deceiver of the whole world. And the voice gives us a running commentary of what's happening. Look to verse 10. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now, The salvation and the power in the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. They have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives 
even unto death. Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Notice we see a great victory in heaven. Uh, Rejoice. Satan has lost his only tool, um, his ability to accuse, uh, because the saints have been washed by the Lamb's blood. Their victory in heaven is already secured. What happens? Look at verse 12 again. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. See, the devil, he is like a cornered animal lashing out. And it's not that the victory is not secure. Well, it is. And that is what makes him all the more dangerous. Now, he has nothing more to lose, and he's out to take everyone down. Now, right or wrong, it seems to be what's happening in number 10 these days. As Dominic is more dangerous now to number 10 than he was with them. Now, he has nothing more to lose but to take everyone down. But here, it's worse. It's not just taking down a government. It's taking down all the nations, down with him, those who are on the earth. Look at verse 17. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood at the sand of the sea. See, where is the devil at work now? Well, it's on earth, on our world, in 21st century London. Uh, 21st century London is the battleground in our nation, in our society, in the offices, in schools, in our neighborhoods, in our homes. See, the devil has lost in heaven, and so he has taken the fight down to earth. See, it's, it's all-encompassing. It's not just satanic cults. Verse 12, woe to you, O earth and sea, the whole world, the devil has taken the fight down to earth. And he is in great wrath. He is furious. He is angry. And he's in rage. Well, he has taken the fight to earth. But the big question is, how? How does the devil fight? That's where we are on point two on the handout, if you're following along. He fights, and he does so in order to steal worship from the nations. Well, the devil, he he fights by summoning two beasts, as we will see in chapter 13, one from the sea and one from the land. Um, A lot of chat has gone on over the years about uh, speculating who these two beasts are. Um, but I want to suggest that it cannot be someone in the future. It must have been something, someone obvious to the first century readers. And most commentators agree, it's quite obvious, the first beast refers to, to Rome. Uh, in the book of Daniel, chapter 7, uh, the concept of beast is used to describe empires against God. And in chapter 17, verse 9, we read that the beast is on seven hills. Uh, Rome, if you go there today, is on seven hills. 
And for Christians living the first century under the Roman Empire, it would have been clear that the first beast refers to the Roman Empire. So the beast refers to Rome and the head, when you read there in verse 3, refers to the emperor. So the real mystery for the original readers would not have been identifying who the beast is. For them, it would have been obvious. But the biggest surprise is how Rome is being described. I remember for them living in the first century, living in Rome might have felt comfortable. Uh, There was peace, the Roman peace. Things were secure. They might have had prosperity. But the shock is how Rome is being described. Look at verse 1 in chapter 13. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads and ten diadems on his horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's. Its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it, the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. You see, the real shock is that the dragon, the devil, is the one who gives authority to the beast. It's not that the beast is Rome, but that Rome gets gets its power from the devil. See, in the beast here in chapter 13, it's a composite beast. In Daniel chapter 7, he describes four different kinds of beasts. But here in the picture of Rome, it's an amalgamation of all four. It's a bear, it's a lion, and it's a leopard, and had a head. The last beast was a man. And so the combination of four, one which is described one who is scary and powerful, who receives power from the devil. But not only is he powerful, he's also deceptive. Notice that in verse 3. One of his heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but his mortal wound was healed. And the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? And who can fight against it? You see, the first beast should have remind, might have reminded you of someone. Uh, he is like the lamb who was slain. Uh, he is a mortal wound and that has healed. Uh, he is like the son of men, but he's a fake. He's a false imitation. He's a cheat. He's a parody of the real deal. He's a counterfeit lamb. But at the same time, it's really effective. The whole world marveled and followed the beast rather than following the lamb. It is a beast in lamb's clothing. Well, what does he do? Well, he tells lies and he kills the saints. Look at verse 5. And the beast was given a mouth, uh, uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened his mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. 
If anyone has a ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain the sword, with the sword he must be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. See, the, the beast, he's out there to lie and to kill. And remember, the surprise is not who the beast is, but really is what Rome really is. Um, the peace, the prosperity, the normality that people are experiencing. It's a blaspheming, spewing machine. Uh, the first beast is the devil's own pet. Well, but there's one more beast to see the second beast. And I also want to suggest there's no surprise who the second beast is. is. Um, it's not uh, some man from East Italy with a branding iron uh, with the number 666 on it. Uh, it's clear for the readers in the first century is the imperial cult. Well, in the first century, there was an imperial cult locally enforced cults to promote worship to the emperor. Uh, one of the commentaries I was reading showed, us, showed me a coin uh, where there was a picture of Nero on one side and on the other side, the god Apollos uh, to promote worship of the emperor. And explicitly, this looked like a priest managing these temples, uh, promoting worship of the emperor. But on a more subtle level, uh, it was just a normal day-to-day -day of how business was done in the first century. Uh, the meetings at the pubs or the networking dinners, uh, you would go for those meals and at the same time, pay your respects to the emperor to worship him. It was how business got done. Uh, it was a normal part of life. It was a social grease that kept the gears moving. And likewise, as the first beast, uh, the big surprise is not who the second beast is, is um, but really how he is being described. Um, he's described, look at verse 11. But then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. I mean, it has a lamb-like appearance uh, that appears docile. But his speech is like the dragon, which is full of lies. And what does he do? Verse 12. It exercises authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the beast whose mortal wounds was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of the people. Uh, do you notice uh, calling fire down from heaven? It sounds a lot like the two witnesses that we met in chapter 11. But yet the second beast is like a false witness. It's a counterfeit witness. It is the contrast, uh, the counterfeit of the two witnesses in chapter 11. Instead of speaking truth, their testimony is false. They're full of lies and deception. Uh, they do have some power, being able to call fire down from heaven, but it's to promote lies. And so the surprise for the first century readers were to realize that the imperial cult, well, it encourages um, the trips that you do to your daily pub that includes raising your glass to the emperor. Well, it is demonic at its heart. And lastly, it also promotes a worship of the man uh, with the number 666. Uh, there's been a lot of speculation over the years of who this person is. And I want to suggest again that it would also not be a surprise to those readers. 
Um, my suggestion is that it refers to Nero Caesar. Back in the first century, there was a practice of counting um, the alphabet. So for example, A would be one and B would be two. Uh, but if you translate Nero Caesar into Hebrew and the word beast into Hebrew, and you add both of them up, uh, both added up in according to the Hebrew calculations, that will amount to the number 666. And so, so the point, I think what John is trying to say is that the imperial cult was promoting the worship of the emperor, Nero Caesar himself. And so this is not a physical mark um, that everyone has, but in the vision, everyone has a mark. And the 144,000, they are the ones who have got seal on their forehead. But here, uh, those who are of not of, of the lamb, uh, they have the mark of the beast. So in the vision, you either have you either are sealed by God or you are marked out by the beast. And there are only two sides in the vision. And so the point of what John is saying here is this. Uh, well, if you're being sealed by the lamb, that will result in financial hardship. Look at verse 17. So that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of its name. And so the big surprise for those reading this for the first time would see that their normal way of life, uh, the imperial cult that was part of the day-to-day -day in the first century, uh, that those who joined in um, would experience the promotions and the increased networks and would prosper, and those who don't that lose out. Well, their normal way of life, well, it's really demonic at its heart. Uh, the devil would have has its claws in that too. Uh, he's behind all of this. Uh, the dragon, uh, the counterfeit lamb, the counterfeit prophet, uh, is the unholy trinity. Uh, it's the parody of the truth, a cheap knockoff of the real deal. But the real question is why? Uh, why does the devil fight in this way? Now, why does he set counterfeits up? Now, what is the enemy's tactic? What is he trying to do? And the answer is this, that what he's trying to do is to steal worship from the nations, is to steal the worship of the nations from God. Now look at verse 4. And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given authority to the beast, and they had worshipped the beast, saying, who is like the beast? Who can fight against it? And again in verse 12, it exercised all authority of the first beast in its presence and made the earth and inhabitants worship the first beast. See, the, the devil has summoned these two counterfeits to steal the worship of the nations. Um, he's out there to stake the worship away from God. Um, it is like it's trying to sell cheap knockoffs of uh, a Gucci bag in the Thailand night market uh, to steal profits from the brand, uh, to devalue the brand. But you see, the result here is not just a handbag or a cheap knockoff watch, but eternal judgment as the devil is stealing the worship from God. So that is what the enemy is doing now. Uh, he is stealing the worship of the nations. You see, there is a unique expression of how that worked out in the first century. Uh, but the point that I was suggesting before 
um, he has the same goal now. See, Revelations 12 and 13, it explains how the devil acts, the in-between period before Jesus comes back. The battleground is on earth. One is either sealed by God or marked by the devil. And the key issue here is that of worship. Uh, let me clarify what I mean by worship. I don't mean that 15-minute slot in your Sunday service or 45 minutes if you are really keen. Uh, but in all of, li- all of life, devotion, orientation of life, who do you really worship? Now, it's the chapter 5 picture of the great multitude around the throne, uh, the multitude praising God. And the devil wants as little as people as possible uh, to be there. And not because he loves people or he cares for them, but he hates God and he hates his son. He wants to draw their worship away, even if it results of people going to hell. That neighbor, that colleague, that friend, that family, the devil is stealing their worship from God at their peril. And that's what he's doing now, stealing the worship of the nations. Well, last week, I, we talked about outright persecution that Christians can face. Now, some of them in our brothers and sisters in northern Nigeria or countries where they face outright persecution. But I want to help us to see that it's not the only way the devil acts. See, if the devil's goal is to steal the worship, uh, perhaps there are more effective ways than simply pointing a gun at someone's head. Uh, Perhaps for 21st century London, it might be more dangerous to promote the lie of the decent life, uh, to be respectable, uh, to do good, to be moral, uh, to think that you're essentially a good person. And that has been a very effective way to steal the worship of this nation. Uh, That's what most of the non-Christians say when I speak to them. Uh, People think that they're essentially good and moral and don't need the gospel. And sometimes we believe that lie as well. Uh, We look at our decent friends and we say, surely they don't need Jesus. Uh, They are more decent than us. But John says, don't be fooled. Uh, Look behind the mask. Uh, See the devil's claws in every one of those lies. Uh, It's a beast in lamb's clothing. And his tactic is to steal the worship of this nation. I think that's what the devil is doing today. Uh, But remember, that's not the end. Uh, We'll see more next week about how the true son of man, how the lamb, how he strikes back. Before that, let me pray for us as we close. Father, we praise you for the Lord Jesus. Uh, We pray that you might help us to see what the devil is doing today. We think about the many ways in which he is working in the world, trying to steal the worship of nations away from you. Father, we pray that you might have our eyes open to this reality to really understand what is going on. So please, will you help us? In Jesus' name, amen.